Uh, we're beginning a brand new series this week called I Declare War. Like, I, I declare war. Well, Josh, why do, why do I need to declare war? Um, it seems aggressive. Like we're a politically correct world now. That seems um, kind of um, toxic masculinity a little bit. Um, what's going on? Seems kind of forceful. But we need to declare war, and it's a very simple reason why. is because you're in one. Like whether you want to admit it or not, um, the Bible actually presents a number of different verses that, that help us see that life is not a playground, but life is a battleground. It's, it's a battleground. And I think that probably most of you feel that. I think it tugs at you in, in a number of different areas, uh, probably. The Bible really tells us about three different areas of, of conflict, three different sources of conflict. And the number one source is the devil, like the devil. You know, the Bible uh, presents us as being people, we are, but people who really, as Christ followers, who are trying to follow a, a Savior whose greatest enemy of all was Satan. And if we choose to follow him, it only makes sense that that's going to be our enemy as well. And he has backup. Like, he, he's got a crew. Like, the, the whole herd of fallen angels that, that we kind of think of or know of as, as demons. And they oppose us. So there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual dimension to this war that, that we're uh, facing. And then the second area that we find conflict from is from the world. Like it's, it's from the world. And when I say the world, I don't mean like this uh, National Geographic, uh, Discovery Channel stuff that we see, the huge mountains and the beautiful ocean um, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm using the word world in the sense that the Bible uses the word world, where it says things like, do not love the world or, or the things of this world. It's not talking about like the mountains. I love the mountains. What it's talking about is this worldview that the world has. And uh, the, it's a very different worldview that is very hostile toward the things of God. It is hostile toward God's rule and God's reign um, on this earth. Um, it's a, it's a worldview um, that says that maybe I'm better than God or that I, I, I can choose for myself the way that I want to go. There was a, a famous atheist who said he'd been battling uh, in his mind this concept of God for, for a long time. I mean, he said, it really kind of hit me uh, when I had a strong sexual desire. And he said, when, when I had that strong desire and it wouldn't go away, what I decided was to be an atheist because if I'm an atheist, then and there is no God, then there is no guilt. Later, C.S. Lewis would meet uh, Jesus and write uh, many of the, the greatest theology books that we have um, of our time, because he came to understanding that there really is a God, and this worldview is opposing that God. I mean, and you think about that. Think about our political structure today. It's a worldview that opposes God. So we used to live in a Christian nation. That's no longer, that's no longer the case. Because why? Because the worldview has changed to where they say, you know, we're better than God. We know more than God does. We don't need to. So as Christ followers, when we try to follow Christ, what that world does is it just brings conflict and complexity into our life. 
Because really, if you read the Scripture and you study the Scripture and you try to find God's path for your life, it's really very simple if you take out all of the worldly worldview, all of that point of view. All of a sudden, life becomes very simple. But we're going to have pushback from this world. And, and oftentimes, that occurs from the people around us. Oh, so now you think you're better than us. Oh, you don't do the things that, that we used to do. What, are you some holy roller now? And no. Listen, the truth is, we realize we're not holy rollers. And that's why we need Jesus, right? Like Christians are some of the most messed up people that there are. I'm worse than most of you. But listen, we're not better than anyone else. We're actually, we actually know that we're worse. That's why we need God. That's why we come to Jesus. And so the world brings difficulty. And so don't be surprised if you're new to this whole following Jesus thing. And as you do, your life begins to get weirder and more complicated. Like, don't ask, what am I doing wrong? Ask, what am I doing right? I think LeBron James gets guarded very aggressively. Why? Because he's a threat. And as you follow Jesus, the enemy sees you as a threat. So he's going to mobilize his forces to try to eliminate you. And the third area of attack or conflict is our fleshly nature, to use a Bible word for there. A fleshly nature. And that, of course, is just saying the you inside of you. Like the, the you in, inside of you. Like there's the old nature that used to be in charge, and then there's the new nature. Like that happened when you gave your life to Christ. Like when you gave your life to Christ, you were given a, a new spirit um, on the inside. So there's a new man and an old man, a, a new woman and an old woman. Again, trying to be politically correct. An old you and a new you. So you've got the new you, and the new you can listen to God and do the things that God wants you to do. Like no problem, can follow. But then you have the old you who used to be in control and doesn't want to give up any longer. So I believe there, there's a devil. I, I believe he's real. I believe there is uh, sin. I believe there are eternal consequences to our sin, and, and, and I believe in hell. I believe that the world can throw um, chaos and confusion and complexity into your life and, and try to push you away. But I think honestly, if I'm being real for, for a second, I am my own worst enemy. And I suspect that I'm not the only one. You know, we are masters of self-sabotage. Like, we all got a self-destruct button. You know, last fall, 2018, uh, the world and really everyone was shocked by this elaborate prank that this artist named Banksy put together. And uh, he was a, a very famous um, artist, and he had this, this plan that he was going to auction off one of his paintings called Girl with a Balloon. Um, and, and it was a, a beautiful painting of a girl with a balloon. And so they set it up, and it was in Sotheby's Auction House in London. Um, and they're, so they're auctioning the thing off, and people are eating caviar and uh, drinking their champagne, and, and it's going off, and, and there's huge crowds. And, and $1.4 million this painting's auctioned off for. And as soon as the, the auctioneer, as soon as he hits, hits the gavel down and says sold, this button is pressed um, by Banksy himself, and this paper, like in the frame, starts falling through a paper shredder. There's a shredder built into the frame. And everybody is astonished. 
Like $1.4 million just completely shredded. Security there was there that day to protect the painting from the people. What nobody knew was that the painting needed to be protected from the painting. Why? Because it had a self-destruct button. And in a critical moment, $1.4 million, like this is your time to shine. I think we like that painting. I think we're masters of getting in our own way. And we talk a lot on social media about treat yourself right. Treat yourself right. Have a you day. Treat yourself right. But I think the, the truth is that we're pretty good at treating ourselves poorly. And, and I don't know what front that resonates with you uh, or conflict is, is most abundant in your life. Paul, he wrote a bunch of books of the Bible, planted churches all over the place, uh, a great follower of Jesus. But this is what he said. He said, the stuff I want to do, that's not the stuff I do. And the stuff that I've written down, like that I'll never do it again, that's the stuff I'm constantly doing. He said, I feel like I'm experiencing my own personal civil war. And I don't know what wars or, or war or wars you're in. I don't know what the battles that you're, you're currently facing are. And there's so many we could talk about. We could talk about moodiness. Like you're being held hostage by a version of yourself that you don't want to be. Maybe it's anxiety or, or suicidal thoughts that, that so many people face today. Maybe it's numbing, uh, and numbing takes many forms, many shapes. Numbing through overeating, numbing through medication, whether prescription or otherwise, numbing through uh, shopping and spending, numbing through the validation that comes when uh, we post something cool on Facebook and we get all those likes. There are so many different things that can cause us to feel like we're in this war. Because the things we want to do, we don't do. We know deep down inside, all of us know deep down inside that, man, that when I help other people, that brings joy. But we go about doing things for ourselves. And that's what war is going on. It's a war for us in our own lives of how we're treating ourselves, and most of the time we're treating ourselves the worst. And I think we really need to come to terms with this and, and declare war. And yeah, that's an aggressive statement. It's a, it's a gloves off kind of thing to say, I declare war. But it just changes your mindset when you do. When those words come out of your mouth, I declare war, it puts you in a different frame of mind. If you chose, choose to declare war, what's going to happen is that a wolf it will rise in your heart. That's what Teddy Roosevelt said. Teddy, Ro Teddy Roosevelt's my favorite president of all time. He was the youngest person to, to ever hold the office of president. He was the first president, and this was kind of cool to me, to ever ride in a submarine uh, while in office or to, to ever ride in an airplane while in office. He was the first president of, of the United States to, to ever own a car or have a telephone in his home. He was the, the first American president to ever win the Nobel Prize, or really the first American to, to ever win it. He was the first president to ever receive a Medal of Honor, uh, which he was nominated for while he was, was alive, but he didn't actually receive it until after he died. And it was all for his involvement in the Spanish-American War. He was the, the secretary assistant to the Navy 
And he was so passionate about battle. Like he, he just wanted a fight. I mean, as a kid, he always loved the idea of being a, a soldier, and he would run around playing G.I. Roosevelt um, all the time. Problem was, like, he was a sick little kid, asthmatic, about 90 pounds soaking wet, he said, as a freshman in high school. But there was always in his mind these manly man things, and that's what led him to, to South Dakota. That, I mean, the fact that his mother and his wife died on the same exact day in the same exact house. Um, but, but the grief caused him to push away everybody in his family, and he ran off to South Dakota. Um, and eventually, the opportunity came for him to go to war. And so he did in Cuba, the, the Battle of San Juan Hill. It was decided a moment where he and the Rough Riders, who were just a ragtag group of cowboys and Indians and Harvard grads, um, that's a true story, um, they're all part of this volunteer group now that's going to go into war. And he had outfits designed for them, and they were, they were ridiculous. They had sombreros uh, and bandanas tied to the sombreros. He kept an extra pair of spectacles, um, is what he called them up in his sombrero hat, in case somebody shot the one pair off of his face. I think if somebody shoots the glasses off your face, you don't need a spare pair. But, <laughs> but, but he, he was ridiculous. And, and yeah, but, but he found himself, he said, I found myself laying there. Uh, the, the battle had started, and there was, he said, he noticed a piece of barbed wire on the ground. He said, it was one thing to want to wanna be a soldier. It's another thing to be in the battle. And, and that's where he found himself. So the barbed wire was on the ground. It was kind of the separation of, of him as he was and him as he needed to be. So he made the decision that I'm not going to go back to life like I felt it. I'm going to step up and do what I need to do. I'm going to press forward. And as he did, all the soldiers around said he became the most glorious soldier that we had ever seen. And he took San Juan Hill that day. He and his men took uh, San Juan Hill and the next hill after that. And he forever, for the rest of his life, he described July 1st, 1898. He said, it's the greatest day that I ever lived. Someone asked him why. He said, because when I crossed the barbed wire, the power of the wolf rose up in his heart. And I think if you make a decision to go forward when you feel like shirking back, you'll find the power of the wolf rising in you. And maybe you say, Josh, I don't want to be a wolf because they're big and they're bad. The three little pigs told me that. And I'll tell you this, dream. I didn't even tell, tell the first service this part. But I remember one night I was asleep and, and I woke up and my hand was bent kind of like that. And I looked over, and I'm like, kid, I looked over, and I thought there was a wolf in bed with me. It's been years ago, but I was scared to death because I'm kind of hairy, and like, it was just, it was weird. Um, and I don't want to be a wolf. I didn't want to be that night either. Um, but, <laughs> but like, Josh, don't you know in the Bible, wolf, wolves are terrible. Like, they're coming in and stealing the sheep, and, and why, why would you want to be that? I think it's just like the devil to try to write off uh, one of God's creatures who has some, some characteristics that we desperately need. You know, the Bible says that snakes are bad too, but Jesus said you should be as wise as a snake. So if God made an animal, there's obviously just not everything about it. And there are ways that which I believe that we desperately need to be like a wolf. And we can talk about it in length, and we're going to over the next uh, few weeks, but their leadership ability their emotional range and, and their empathy, the way they take care of each other as, as pack animals is unbelievable. And um, we're going to explore some of those. But today we're going to talk about thinking 
like a wolf. You need to think like a wolf. Why? Because you are what you think. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us that, so as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And listen, I'm not saying that every single problem in your life can be solved mind over matter. But what I am saying is that what happens in your mind really does matter. The whole sermon really in one sentence is that you can change the way you feel by changing the way that you think. And the way that we feel is honestly is what's responsible for so many of the problems that we get into. We do things based on how we feel. But we can grab the controls and take back the reins if we can alter the way we feel by changing the way that we think. So just a couple of points, and, and we're winding down uh, this morning. But the first one is this. Negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life. Like negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life. And the direction our thoughts are going, the, the polarity of our thoughts, if you will, positive, negative. Um, and think about it as batteries. If you put batteries upside down in a flashlight or the wrong direction in a flashlight, you have no light. And it's the same way in our lives. Same way with our thought life. The Bible talks so much about it over and over again. Colossians chapter 3, uh, which tells us this. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Don't worry about what's going on down here. Don't worry about what the government's doing. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing. Don't worry about what, what your spouse is doing. You set your mind on things up here, and God's going to bring about changes down here because he's the one in control, not you. Set your mind on things that are above. Sign the same thing in Romans chapter 12, where the world is used like we were talking about it before. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, by what you think about begins to change things. Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest thing I can do? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So we have to love God with our mind. Listen, trust God, yes, but don't be an idiot. Like that, that was my rule with my kids growing up. I said to all of them, I'll tell you, don't be a moron. Like, hey, dad, what time do I need to be home? I don't care, just don't be a moron. Like that, that's the rule. And the same thing with God, like trust God, but don't be a moron. Like it matters what we think, because oftentimes our thinking devolves into to negative thoughts, and we have control of that. So none of us wake up in the morning and say, man, I want to have a terrible day today. But so many of us allow that kind of thinking into our lives, and selfish, narcissistic turmoil and worry and, and all of these kind of thoughts that get into our head and they lead to the sort of day that we woke up hoping that we wouldn't have. Negativity. And here's the thing, negativity breeds more negativity. That's what it does. Why? Because what you look for, you will find. You know, that's a biblical principle too. God said, when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Because God programmed it in us, and it's called, uh, psychologists call it confirmation bias. That we have this confirmation bias. What we think that we're going to see, or we're actually going to see. Um, I, I bought a Jeep a couple of years ago. I've never seen anything like it. I bought a Jeep, and the next thing I see is all of them. Everybody's driving the same Jeep I got. Why? Because now I'm looking for it. I wasn't looking for it before. And it's the same thing happen. If you're searching for negative, you're going to see more of it. So just understand that you are in charge of your thoughts that stay in your head. 
You're not in charge of what pops in there, but you're how, in charge of how long it stays. There's a difference between thinking and thinking about and dwelling on. Because here's how it looks. If you go to work thinking that, man, they were mean to me last time I went in there, I bet they're going to be mean to me again. So everything they say, everything they don't say, everything they laugh at or don't laugh at, everybody they invite to somewhere or don't invite to somewhere, you're just waiting to get wounded. You're hoping to get hurt. You focus on the negative thing your spouse did, they're going to bring more, breed more negativity. Happens all of the time. Listen, in, in church world, you can go to church and then you find all the negative things in church. Listen, there's negative things here. I'm probably the biggest one. Um, but, but if you're looking for something negative, you're going to find it. And there's stains on the carpet. Been there for 27 years. They ain't coming up. But if you begin looking for negative things, you're going to find it. Doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing. There's not more negativity than there ever was. It's just what you're looking for. So your subconscious then is mastering you. And then when that happens, what you say is, see, I told you. I told you that church was like all the other ones. I told you that job was like all the other ones. I told you that spouse would, would hurt me like that. It's just the story of my life. Like, no, that's the story you're choosing to write. You're writing that story. And that's the bad news. The good news, though, is that if it can be used for evil, it can be used for good. What if you taught yourself? What if you taught yourself? I'm just trying to help you. What if you taught your subconscious to look for something different by staring at something different? What if you trained it to look for signs of good instead of for signs of bad? You know, a Hebrew writer tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to stare at Jesus. Why? Because there's good in him. What if you didn't look for the worst examples of, of people in humanity, but you looked for the best? What if you found anything praiseworthy or anything good, you found anything of good report? And all of a sudden, your subconscious begins to go, man, I used to be all negative and cynical and just full of gossip. And living in the cesspool of, of social media comments. But now there's a whole different version of me. I'm not so snarky anymore. Like you're finding good in people. You're finding good in situations. Finding beauty. Like look for more of that. Because listen, there is good. There is a God at work. There is a God in your life. There is someone who is nice. There is someone who is charitable. There is someone who is generous. And they're bringing it on to, out to you. And now all of a sudden you're going, see... I knew it, story of my life. I wrote it. And listen, I'm not talking about positive thinking as a replacement for God. That doesn't work. I'm talking about positive thinking, listen, as a response to God, because he is so good. I'm talking about positive thinking, listen, because God has loved you enough that he sent Jesus to die for you. I'm talking about positive thinking as a response to the fact that you don't have to face hell any longer. I'm talking about positive thinking because God loved you enough that he would create you in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not as a replacement for God, it's because of what God has done. Because listen, you cannot worship and worry at the same time. 
You can't be accidentally negative while you're being intentionally positive. In fact, it's what Philippians talks about in chapter 4, verse 8, where Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, uh, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul's instructing us to do that. Why? Because we can. We can focus on those things. If you did, would you even recognize yourself in 15 minutes? You can't worship and worry at the same time. You can't be doing good things and thinking good thoughts and also be thinking of bad. That's the secret. That, that's, the, that's the remedy. And listen, the answer isn't try and stop being negative. Because the only way that you're, the guaranteed way that you'll stop thinking about pink elephants is if I tell you to stop thinking about pink elephants. So when I say stop thinking about it, like, you're not going to stop thinking about it. The answer is that you have to replace it with something else. What if instead of pouting, I'm praising? Because I can't be pouting while I'm simultaneously praising. What if I'm practicing gratitude? It's going to be the cure for the grumbling that's going on in my life. What if I'm choosing to encourage people instead of criticize them? I won't be able to do things that I don't want to do while I'm busy doing the things that God's called me to do. And it'll change the game. So let's declare war on the old way of thinking. Let's, let's think like a wolf. Because you can change the way you feel if you change the way you think. Let's come back to reality. Like, this is a good game plan going forward. But for many of us, we feel like we're already in that negative, destructive life cycle. And we've for so long selectively been focused on the wrong things. And we know that. It's where our life has led us. There's that confirmation bias that, that's already in us. It's habitual. You're like, Josh, that's fantastic for those of people who haven't lived at all. You're thinking, man, I've already shredded a lot of my life. I've messed it up. There's been a lot of negative. There's been a, a lot of destruction that's happened. I've done things that I wish I hadn't done. I've said things I wish I hadn't said. You know, it's just kind of shredded. You know, my favorite part about that whole Banksy story is that they're actually estimating now that this shredded painting is worth more than the $1.4 million that somebody paid for it. Saying, why? Because it's just a piece. That, that he said the art was that whole setup that he put into place. The, the whole auction, the whole banging of the gavel, the shredding going down. And because it went through all of that process, it's now worth way more than $1.4 million. It's only just one piece of the painting. And I'd say the same thing to you. The reason someone would pay so much more than $1.4 million to buy your tattered, scarred, messed up life is because they know it's just one aspect of the painting, just one aspect of, of the masterpiece. And so I'd say to you, with your, your tattered canvas, with the scars, with the shredder, all the things you wish you could have done differently, 
all the things that were maybe done to you. So don't you know that 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 doesn't surprise the creator? He knew from the very beginning that it was just going to be part of this great plan that he had for your life. That you are being marred, that you being broken isn't a reason to to walk away from him. It was an opportunity for him to show you with a great love that he has for you. Don't you know that you've never done anything that's a disappointment to your God? You can never do anything that would make him love you any less. And listen, in a perfect, pretty Facebook picture was never part of the plan. Because he wasn't counting on your goodness. He was always banking on his own. So if you bring your tattered, ripped up ruins and the mistakes of your guilt of your yesterday, he'll turn it into a masterpiece and he'll use it for, for the great plan that he has for your life. If Jesus' resurrection teaches us anything, it's that God can do beautiful things with broken people. Let's declare war on the way that we think. I'm gonna ask you to stand and if there's a decision that you need to make, I want to encourage you today uh, to come forward as Kyle and Gayla lead us in, in this last song. Father God, we're thankful today for who you are. God, we're thankful that you can take broken people like us and turn us into beautiful things. Father, I pray today that we would begin to surrender all those areas of our life that we're holding on to. We'd surrender the the scars. We'd surrender the the wounds. We'd surrender the hurt. And we'd begin to focus on you because of your goodness, because of what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.